This is the sound of a rainforest. And this is the sound of what you might call a rainforest of the ocean, a coral reef. Like rainforests on land, coral reefs are hotbeds of diversity, home to countless species of plants and animals. We rely on our reefs for many things, for protection from coastal erosion and storm surge, for fishing, recreation and tourism, and even as a source for the discovery of new biomedicines. But like rainforests on land, reefs are under intense pressure from climate change, pollution, and unsustainable use. Today, about 20% of the world reefs are damaged beyond recovery, and about 40% are under risk of collapse. So what can we do about it? To answer that question, we need to better understand the main threat to our reefs. And that would be us, humans. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. I'm Troy Ketch. Today on the program, the social side of protecting coral reefs. We're joined by Dr. Peter Edwards, a natural resource economist and social science coordinator for NOAA's Coral Reef Conservation Program. We began our conversation by talking about what economics and social science have to do with coral reefs. Social and economic conditions are almost oftentimes direct indicators of how healthy coral reefs will be. So in places where there's lots of poverty, lots of population, lots of pressures like deforestation and siltation, then the reefs will more than likely be in bad shape, particularly with respect to things like unemployment. You often find heavy fishing, overfishing. But on the converse, in places where things are a little better off or management measures like marine protected areas are in place, you can definitely see a difference to the health of the reef. Now, Peter has a unique perspective in this area. He grew up in Jamaica, a place with many reefs that are under intense pressure. He said his current profession as a natural resource economist was a natural progression from his childhood in the Caribbean. My father was a land surveyor, so I used to accompany him in summers and so had a feel for the outdoors and nature. And, and I also learned to swim at an early age, and so we went to the beach, you know, being in a tropical island, spent a lot of time on the coast. So that piqued my interest in outdoors animals. In fact, when I was a child, I wanted to be a vet, you know, or work with animals. Instead of becoming a vet, Peter channeled his love of the outdoors into studying marine science. And during his years of study, he began doing more and more work with public speaking about conserving our natural treasures. And that is where my interest into figuring out how better to get the general public to understand the importance of natural resources. And one of those ways is to come up with economic values. Because some people, yeah, it's fine to say, save the reef, but for policymakers and the general public, sometimes if you're able to say, listen, this thing is actually worth more than just its intrinsic value, then that's when I got interested in that kind of work. I asked if this sort of work, socioeconomics, was sometimes a hard sell when working with other scientists who might think the science should just stand on its own, that people should realize that saving a natural resource like a reef is a good thing. And that's what scientists and researchers are trying to do after all, save the reefs. Why should you have to put an economic value on nature anyways? Well, Peter said the problem is that oftentimes people and policymakers don't see the relevance of the science that goes into things like reef research. And frankly, it's worth bearing in mind that the reason the reefs are in trouble in the first place is largely because of human activity. 
these critical pieces of environment would not be threatened if we weren't around or if the pressures weren't that great. So people make that difference and that's why we have to understand why people do the things they do and provide alternatives for them. And that's where social sciences comes into play in, in helping natural resource management. We need to make it relevant to them, disentangle and highlight nature's benefits and what's in it for them, because that's the question that drives most people, what's in it for me, and then transforming that into something that can work in policy. And that's what Peter is doing today. He's part of an ambitious project now underway to create a national coral reef monitoring plan, the first of its kind at NOAA. The plan is focused on reefs in 10 priority areas around the nation, in Florida and Hawaii, in the Commonwealth of the Northern Marianas Islands, American Samoa, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico. Part of the effort involves taking biological samples at these sites. Part involves monitoring climate conditions. And part of the plan is about people. It's a multi-year effort to better understand the humans who live near and rely upon these reefs. Peter is leading the social science component of this effort. So what that entails is in all of the U.S. coral reef jurisdictions, we will be rolling out a set of household surveys. This survey will collect general socioeconomic information from respondents, and then we'll be asking questions on knowledge about reefs, how people participate with beaches and coastal features associated with coral reefs, among some other general questions. The purpose of this is to collect baseline information across all the U.S. coral reef territories. While researchers with NOAA's Coral Reef Conservation Program have been collecting physical and biological data at the reefs around the U.S. for a long time, and while there have been some small-scale socioeconomic studies at different locations, this long-term social research across all of the U.S. reef jurisdictions is something new. So the plan is to, over the next three to four years, target at least two different jurisdictions per calendar year. And at the end of that four-year period, we will put out some information on people's perceptions, you know, kind of general statistics on what are people doing, um, their, their feelings about different management measures. Do they like MPAs? Would they like to have more freedom to do things in the ocean? Or do they think we should be protecting things more? And so on. So we'll have a good idea. And then hopefully, subject to funding, of course, we'll be able to repeat it again so that we can begin to monitor these long-term socioeconomic trends. The surveys will provide a window into how people who live near reefs in the U.S. feel and think about these natural resources, and how they view the different management strategies that are in place to protect their local reefs. Down the road, Peter said that survey data will also help to decide on new kinds of strategies to help protect the reefs, and, importantly, how to best communicate to people who live near reefs that these resources need to be protected in the first place. A big part of this communication piece, he said, is to help people understand that reefs have value. You know, there's a quote that I'm paraphrasing that says, if you say you can't put a price on nature, then effectively or essentially you're saying that it has no value. And an economist will tell you that if you're not able to value a resource, it will soon get overexploited. So essentially the end goal is to demonstrate to the public how these changes in quality of ecosystem affect human well-being. And once we're able to do that, we can better communicate to the public, make better policy, and help people 
better make trade-offs because in the end, a lot of people are making trade-offs about everything. In terms of coral reefs, if people understand that what they're getting from a nearby reef has real value, well, then they're more likely to invest in taking care of that reef. Peter called the different things that people get from the reef benefit streams. One of these benefit streams may be recreation. One of these benefit streams from coral reefs may be fishing. Another benefit stream is the protection from large storm surges and and waves. If you have a healthy coral reef out there, then it's likely that your beachfront property won't be washed into the ocean because there's a healthy reef that's slowing down the wave energy. And so those are three simple examples of ecosystem services that sometimes you can put a monetary value on. We can use techniques to figure out how valuable a beach vacation or a day of traveling to the beach and back home is to an individual. And by doing that, we can say to local governments, international governments, that this resource actually is worth money and therefore it would behoove you to make sure that it's preserved. So that's the basic underlying premise. Unfortunately, if you don't attach a monetary value to some of these resources, then people won't recognize their actual value, and so they will exploit it and not take care of it. And then when it's gone, then you realize that you've lost something valuable. Later this year, the Coral Reef Conservation Program will roll out the first of their socioeconomic surveys to areas in southern Florida and American Samoa as part of NOAA's new National Coral Reef Monitoring Plan. This plan is designed to build upon more than a decade of NOAA-supported monitoring to better equip scientists, resource managers, and decision makers with the information they need to better protect and conserve our coral reefs for future generations. Special thanks to Dr. Peter Edwards for joining me today on the show. By the way, if you thought that audio recording of a coral reef at the opening of the episode was pretty cool, yeah, we did too. This recording was made by Erica Stauderman. She's studying coral reef soundscapes in the lab of Dr. Claire Paris at the University of Miami. If you'd like to learn more about her research, check our show notes for the link. You've been listening to Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. You can reach us at oceanservice.noaa.gov or by email at nos.info@noaa.gov. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode.